0: Welcome to this week's episode of the
1: A Better Way to a podcast with Jordan and Andrew. We're here with Colin Mayfield, an American freelance journalist who's been all over the world. He's covered everything from the NFAC to 3D printed guns, he's been to Egypt, he was on an island full of goats, and now he's in Ukraine covering the war. We're super excited to have him here and look forward to hearing about his experience. Thanks for coming on, Colin.
2: Really glad to be here.
0: Let me ask you this, Colin. Um, so when you, when you got to Ukraine, uh, I believe that was shortly before the the invasion started. Um, yes. What was your reaction? I mean, what, what was it like just you know, coming off the plane into, into the Ukraine?
2: So I, I came here with the intention of covering the story because the, the media's eyes were all on Ukraine and the war in Donbass had been going on for eight years now. But I, I didn't expect I didn't expect any of this to happen. But as far as my initial reaction as far as Kiev goes, I I, I thought it was beautiful. I, I quite enjoyed my time in Kiev. Phenomenal pizza, which is not something I was expecting <laughs> from Ukraine. It's actually pizza's very popular here. I've had some amazing pizza in so many different cities.
0: Like Italian style pizza
2: or like Yes, like wow. good Italian pizza and they do salami's really well in Ukraine. Oh. Like breakfast, breakfast always has like some kind of salami or other type of cured sausage. It's delicious. That
1: sounds amazing.
2: But uh the, so but yeah, I was just really astonished with how how beautiful a lot of Kiev was, but there's also lots of retro Soviet stuff throughout the country and you see a lot more of that than I was expecting. I didn't expect to see nearly as many Soviet monuments as I've seen.
1: Yeah, and I guess the only thing we really have to compare over here are our Civil War monuments. Um, is it was it weird seeing that kind of thing over there? Just uh, like that kind of commemoration.
2: Yeah, it has been. It's been very strange. Like not just statues, but I've also seen a couple of like like lots of cool old murals. I saw one with cosmonauts on it. It was very retro. It's just been quite interesting to see for sure it's definitely not something i was expecting okay i, th- I, I thought they would have de-sovieted a lot right. more than they have
0: and and that was kind of what i was going to ask next is do, do you feel like they they uh pay reverence like earnestly to these monuments or do you no. feel like it's kind of like the uh the daughters of the confederacy here planting planting these 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 monuments uh you know these these cheap monuments everywhere to try to sort of like rewrite history
2: yeah um I think it's mostly just because I mean the u s s r was around for like what almost eighty years, yeah about yeah almost that, and uh you know they just put a lot of them up, and you know Ukraine's a fairly young country, they just haven't had time to remove them all, some of them they're gonna keep like you know ones dedicated to what the Soviets did in World War two yeah they'll keep but some Ukrainians I've talked to, they do want to take a lot of them down, but the only stuff that they've really taken down so far is just, uh, ones of Marx and Lenin and Stalin. Uh, one's just devoted to like a Soviet general from world war II or like, you know, the great patriotic war in general, but none of that's, I don't think any of that's going to go anywhere.
0: Okay. All right. Um, can I ask, uh, and, and if, if you if you need to, like, not say any of this for OPSEC reasons, uh, feel free. But, okay. But, um, you know, who are you traveling with people? Do you have security? Uh, anybody showing you around? Or are you just kind of on your own over there?
2: Uh, yes and no, but I would not call them security. I prefer the term government minders. Ah. Uh. Yeah, it's – um. so sometimes I've been traveling – by myself, or not necessarily by myself, but with other colleagues, like other journalists. Uh, Sometimes we hire fixers and a fixer is like, in journalism, a fixer is a guide slash translator who helps gain access to things and gets us into things that, you know, we otherwise would not be able to do. So like, when I was able to go to the front lines in Kharkiv for the first time, I hired a fixer named Vlad who was able to take us there. But a lot of the other times in Kharkiv, we have been escorted they've called themselves escorts by soldiers in the territorial defense forces and they tell us what is approved for us to photograph and what's not approved for us to photograph and what we can't photograph and it's very frustrating
1: yeah i noticed that there were a couple of photos that you posted um you, you had the one specifically where you were taking photos of some old burnt out Russian vehicles that have been repositioned to be used as defensive barricades. And then you had another one of a monument that was shot up and uh, it, it was a very up close shot of it. And I was wondering if that was done specifically for OPSEC reasons or if it was done more for a uh, like subjective censorship, um, type, type thing, if that makes sense.
2: In that one, it was, it was a, an offset concern. So it was this old Soviet monument and I'll send you all this photo so you can use it for whatever, but it was this old Soviet monument. It was a soldier holding uh, a rifle and, uh, it was funny, actually, uh, the rifle had a Ukrainian flag tied to it, but the reason they only made us photograph upwards was because there were artillery pieces positioned around it and there were, um, were uh, pillboxes that the soldiers were positioned in. So they don't want the Russians knowing those exact locations. So a lot of it is OPSEC. So an- another example, um, another example uh, checkpoints we can't photograph. So there were some burnt-out Russian armored personnel carriers and BTRs, and we were told we could face them or we could we were told we could photograph them, but only if the Ukrainian army positions were facing our rear, as in no possible way for the Russians to figure out from our photos at least how the positions were configured. So a lot of it is OPSEC, but others I think is more propaganda purposes. Right. So for example, my last stint in Kharkiv, I was with my colleague uh Daphne Vestorp, who's a Dutch journalist. And uh, she and I took a van from here in Dnipro with a soldier in the territorial defense force. We took it from Dnipro to Harkiv. We were dropped off at an army checkpoint in the city, and where we met our uh, escort slash minder who went by the call sign Shrek. After we unloaded all of our uh, all of our gear and got in Shrek's car. Shrek gave our uh our driver these two men whose wrists were tied and they had duct tape over their eyes. They were alleged Russian spies who were being taken back to Dnipro for interrogation. And that's something I wish I could have captured, but we weren't allowed. Wow.
0: Wow. They just they they had to they couldn't uh get a separate transport. They're kinda I guess they're limited on
2: uh Yeah. <laughs> yeah how many
0: cars they have running.
2: Our driver took two journalists up and brought two spies back. But it's just, it's stuff like that. And then uh, we're prohibited from photographing faces in most in- instances. Uh, interestingly, a lot of soldiers are happy to let us photograph their sketchy, Nazi-affiliated patches. Like I've seen black songs. I saw an SS deathhead skull, but I wasn't able to photograph that one, sadly but I was able to photograph a black sun provided. I just not have the soldier's face in the photo.
0: Okay. So they're not worried so much about getting outed for having a, uh, uh, Nazi affiliated militias fighting for them or, or, you know, maybe even, it's uh... an,
2: it's an open secret, right? Okay. It's an open secret that everybody here denies, but they're willing to flaunt it. And, and some of the patches are more questionable. Like Ukraine has a, a story to Viking history, you do alongside soviet statues i've seen plenty of viking statues Uh, you know the vikings you know they came down the rivers and settled in in the ukraine and so like when i see a guy with a helm of all patch or a kovarat tattoo or uh a thor's hammer patch it's like is that guy far right or is he just proud of his you know viking heritage but when you see a black sun and a and an ss skull it's pretty freaking obvious.
0: Yeah. Or like a, like the Totenkopf.
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah. You've seen the, seen the Totenkopf uh, a few times.
0: So, so how, how prevalent is that sort of like far right position among the militias and, and how, how is that, how do they kind of occupy that space alongside more? Um, I don't know if there's any, if there are any centrist or moderate militias, but also, you know, the, the anarchists and the leftists. Yeah. Know. How, you, how many...
2: you, So, so they're obviously not all together. You're not going to put the anarchists of Revdia and Black Flag and Black Headquarter alongside guys from Right Sector and Azov. But at the same, but I mean, they are all on the same side. The expression "war makes strange bedfellows" is definitely true in this circumstance. But uh, I, as far as like people I believe to be neo Nazis, I've only met about a dozen or so people, the vast majority of soldiers I've met have not been like that. The vast majority majority of soldiers are are more moderate. Most of the people in the territorial defense force are just people that want to fight Russian aggression and and fight against this invasion. I've actually spoken with a few people in the Ukrainian Marines, not in person, but people I know uh, online who I've been able to have phone calls with and have honest discussions with and, and they've been like, yeah, I think we should have uh, rules about, like, what kind of patches people should wear. And uh, I think we should probably punish the people that are wearing the SS-affiliated stuff.
0: Yeah. But I can imagine but, um, that would be tough to do, tough to put in practice now.
2: Oh, 100%. Like, there are laws against it, but it's not enforced. Yeah. It's, it's not enforced at all. But um, as to the centrists, yes, there are lots of everyday, <clears throat> more apolitical people who have taken up arms in a uh, in the territorial defense forces and other armed factions here in Ukraine. So for example, I went to a, a Molotov cocktail factory at an undisclosed location somewhere near Dnipro and all the militia that ran it were elementary school teachers before the invasion happened just over a month ago.
0: Oh wow. And now they're Damn.
2: mass all these now these elementary school teachers are mass producing Thousands of Molotov cocktails to ship up the Kharkiv to use against Russian armored vehicles, and then I've also met a handful of uh, a handful of left wing and anti authoritarian people, like uh, Draven Gerber fought with uh, the YBS or Webeshe in Iraq. That's a a left wing libertarian socialist. Well, it's not really libertarian socialism. Their their specific ideology is called democratic confederalism. Oh, a, yeah. But it's like a grass... Like the, the YPG. They're, yeah, uh, YBS is very closely allied with the YPG. They're very... Okay, they're, that makes sense. Yeah, they're very closely allied. They're just like the Yazidi alternative in Shingal, Iraq. But he is a, an anarchist and an anti-fascist from Washington State, fought with Webeshe in Iraq, and uh, now he's here trying to get in with Revdia.
1: It's interesting that you have people who are doing things like f- making Molotov cocktails who aren't necessarily fighting on the front lines, um, but are doing things that directly contribute towards the war effort. Um, and it kind of reminds me of, you know, back in world war II when you'd have people here at home making machine parts um, and making weapons and airplanes and things like that, who, who weren't necessarily fighting on the front lines, but who were helping in a big way. And I think, there's a misconception uh amongst a lot of people here in the US that Ukraine as a whole is essentially the front line um that there that there isn't really a lot of this um like secondary effort going on that that people all have rifles and are all uh shooting at russians
2: definitely definitely not the case so the fighting is very bad in the east. Uh, the fighting is bad in Kharkiv and north and around Kiev, and then just uh, south, uh, you know, just south of me, down like near Crimea, there's fighting because you know Crimea was annexed by the Russians in 2014. And then west of Crimea, and in, in uh, Kherson and Mykolaiv, there's fighting. But Odessa's safe. Lviv is safe, the west of the country is safe, and the center of the country is safe. And uh, like I mentioned to you earlier, I was really annoyed with one of my colleagues who – I can't even call this guy a colleague. But he posted some pictures of himself and his body armor in Lviv by the Polish border hundreds of miles away from the fighting being like, you (laughs) never know what can happen in a war zone. It's like, dude, shut the hell up. Is this when uh, Lviv
0: got uh, struck by artillery?
2: No, 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 no. This was this was before that. This was before okay. that even happened. Oh wow. Like they were they were testing an air raid siren and this guy put it on his Instagram story, being like, This is the reality of living here of being here, you know. We could have an air raid at any moment and they'd be like, Bro, that'd be like if me being in Alabama, I, I decided to post every single time my city tests the tornado siren.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this is the reality of living in Alabama, bro. You don't know yeah. what it's
2: like. You don't know what it's like to have the city test, test the uh, the siren at a set point every single it's a very week.
0: Very spooky sound.
2: No, I was I was just so annoyed with that. Like, because I'm I'm very against people who wear body armor when they're not in an active war zone. Like, the only time I've worn armor has when I've been in the literal battle of Kharkiv. Other than that, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm.
0: Which is a good time to wear armor.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a great time. I got my I got my IFAC and my tourniquets yeah. and my chest seals. I got I got all the stuff that would save me. But to be honest, recently I've just been kind of wearing it less, just because like a lot of the places I've been in Kharkiv haven't been small arms fire. They've been you know where artillery right. has happened, and it's like yeah, my level four plates aren't going to do anything against a grad. Right.
0: You Still might want your IFAC though.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, the IFAC always one hundred percent. Well, so let me ask you, sorry, don't want to lose a, don't want to lose a leg to a rocket and bleed to death.
0: No, (laughs) absolutely. Goal number one,
1: keep your (laughs) limbs.
2: Don't bleed to death. (laughs) So one of the things we did the first few days, I was with a, a, a more experienced journalist who's reported in other conflict zones and, and he advised me to write my blood type on my boots. And that was on. I was on day one of the invasion and that's one of the things that hit me. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm really here.
0: Yeah. There's real danger.
2: Yeah. This isn't, this isn't like one of the militias I've seen in the United States. There's, I could actually get seriously injured or, or possibly die. Yeah.
0: Now, do you, <coughs> do you feel like there's any parallels between the militias there and the militias you've seen in, in the States or is it like a whole different ball game? Um, you know, are they, is, are they like yes way and more no. serious?
2: Um, so here's the thing about the militias here. It's some of them are armed very well. Some of them are motley bands of people. Like, for example, within the first week of the war, I went through this one checkpoint staffed by like one or two police officers and and uh, like seven or eight territorial defense militia. And there's this one grizzled old man who I wish I could have taken a portrait of, but they wouldn't let me. And this man had an antique percussion cap shotgun. Wow. <laughs> you have no idea how badly I wanted that photo, but they would not yeah. let me. But, uh, and then other militias are really well armed with modern AK variants. And pretty much everybody has some kind of Makarov. Well, that's good. But... Uh, <laughs> So, oh, god damn it! Uh, a family just came into the room that I'm. That's in. okay. I really, I really uh, hope that they're not too loud. It, they, but, can
0: uh, be, they can be. loud. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, hey, we're
2: at least we're working be around speaking, your situation. At least they'll be speaking Ukrainian, so the background noise will be uh, less distracting. But, um, but yeah, as far as militias I've seen in the United States goes, I mean, you know, it's always serious, and it's always larping until it isn't. I guess. Uh, is a good way right. to put that. So, for example, when I was at the Stone Mountain clashes, which was it was this defend Stone Mountain protest organized by some neo Confederates, and they were, you know, they were just pro- it was in the middle of summer, it was August during you know the twenty twenty one or the twenty twenty Black Lives Matter protests, and they just wanted to defend Stone Mountain, and they were backed up by a bunch of like three percent militias. It was. Which, for the most part, were out of shape baby boomers. Yeah, you know, with good, good, you know, good rifles in most cases. Some of them had fud guns, but most of them had good, good semi-automatic rifles. But, and then, uh, then they were met by a left-wing resistance. There were a number of left-wing militias there. There were some armed anti-fascists, some of whom had decent guns. Most of whom just seemed to have shotguns but one thing i was really impressed with was there was this one very well organized left wing militia group called the coalition of armed labor
1: huh, i saw those it was
2: a bunch of younger people in their 20s it's a small group there're only like a dozen of them there if even that many but they had body armor i fax, they had comm systems set up they're communicating with each other through radios they were far better armed than the right wingers and uh there's this one really vivid standoff that happened that day. Like, the police didn't intervene until the very end in Stone Mountain, and the two factions were getting into fist fights all day, and it was intense because you know guys, guys with with rifles over their shoulders were getting into fist fights. And people right. had bloodied, broken noses, spraying each other with wasp spray, and it's like I hope nobody starts shooting. People were throwing fireworks at each other, slashing oh, yeah. tires. Like at but, any moment,
0: um, one of these guys could just unsling their rifle.
2: Yeah. And that did happen. They did point guns at each other. There was one instance where a, uh, a left winger grabbed a don't tread on me flag that the um, right winger with cognitive dissonance was flying.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: And, uh, yeah, grabbed it. And then he pointed his AR. He wasn't wearing body armor. And then one of the Coalition of Armed Labor guys jumped in between uh the protester who stole the flag and the right winger and just stared him down readied his ar and the right winger backed down because he saw it's like it's a younger fit guy with body armor who just stood in front of him when he pointed his rifle and he backed down pretty quick so that was that was something interesting to see yes he definitely uh yeah, so not a. I, I would not say it's it's fair to categorize all all American militia as larpers. That's I would not say that's the case, but for a lot of them it is. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: But then, like you said, it's LARPing till it isn't, right? You know, it's yeah. like, We don't know uh, how they would respond to a situation uh, yeah. like we're seeing in Ukraine and how seriously they would take it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Although uh, one interesting tweet I saw was. One thing's for sure about the Ukraine war. Nobody can shit on airsoft gear anymore <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. I actually re- – I, I read an article about some airsofters in Kiev who actually were using their gear at the front.
1: Uh,
0: yeah. You, you know, and there's <clears throat> there's already been so much crossover between uh, airsoft and professional gear driven yeah. by uh, marketing-focused companies like uh, Spirit of Systems.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you also use what you have, you know, I mean, that's a lot of these guys don't go out and just order kit. Like so many people, so many people here do, um, I don't have, don't have the, uh, the, the culture is different, you know, where you've got guys here that'll spend a thousand dollars on gear, uh, before they go out and do any training. And, And meanwhile, you have guys in or people in Ukraine who just, who have an experience with, conflict that many of us don't have so i mean they have the experience and then it's almost like the gear is secondary or so it seems
2: no i definitely would agree with that statement which i mean a lot of this use what you have is it does come down to necessity but just like i like i said the uh, the old man with his percussion cap gun
0: right that's what he has
2: you
0: know
2: yeah you know, you know I, hope, I... hopefully hopefully they were able to snag him an AK from a dead Russian and get him something a little bit nicer
1: for sure.
0: I mean, hopefully he never has to fight in the first place, but yeah, I mean, absolutely.
1: So do you have, uh, you know, seeing all this stuff happen over there and, and, and seeing the civilians react to this, uh, in, in the way that they are, do you have any, um, do you have any views one way or the other on like the importance of civilian readiness, um, in, in, respect to this or in respect to anything um, maybe not necessarily a full-scale invasion but uh, something something with these applicable skills that could happen here in the u.s. or or anywhere else
2: so uh, here's where i commit career suicide Um, not really i'm a freelancer but (laughs) (laughs) uh, i believe i believe uh, gun ownership is a human right and i look at groups like the YPG and the YPJ to justify that. I look at what's happening to the the Uyghurs yeah. to justify that. I think if every Uyghur owned a rifle, there wouldn't be a genocide happening right now. I, th- I, I think that guns in the wrong hands can do horrible things, but I think in the right hands, they can commit tragedies and, or in the right hands, they can prevent tragedies I meant to say. And, uh, you know, I, I, I read somewhere that, you know, with guns in the hands of the public, yes, there may be tragedies, but without them, there can be atrocities.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's so true. Absolutely. I mean, you just think, you see the way that uh, civilians are being treated in places that uh, that Russia has overrun, um, yeah. and some of that may be frustration at the amount of resistance they're seeing, but you have to imagine that some of these atrocities would be widespread if they were able to just roll over the country with no resistance.
2: Yeah, it's just maybe editorializing
0: oh, a little bit, but it,
2: it has really been horrible. Some of the th- things I've seen, uh, I, I saw some videos of uh, a protest today in one of the occupied territories. I don't recall which one exactly it was, but um, the it was a very peaceful protest and the Russians... Uh, brutally cracked down on it, deploying tear gas and had soldiers beating protesters, mass arrests. And yeah, it was just, just horrible, Much and that goes for anywhere in the world. Peaceful protest should not be, uh, not be met with tear gas. Yeah, Of course not. For looking sure. at you, looking at you, USA 2020.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah,
2: but, we'll, we'll make no <laughs>
0: secret about agreeing with that. No. <laughs>
2: yeah. I'll, uh, I'll never forget when uh when SWAT did finally decide to intervene at the Stone Mountain protests. Just a step back a bit, um, it was after the left wingers had forced the right wingers to pretty much retreat, and then when you know the right wing militias left, then the left wing milit- militias yeah. started pulling out. Then it turned into a BLM street party, then SWAT mobilized, yep. and then I got then I got maced for the crime of photography. Yeah, it's definitely, that
0: That says a lot about where the police stand politically too.
2: That, that was a fun day. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got it. I, um, a street medic gave me some water. I got it on my eyes pretty quickly, but it just soaked into my arm. My arm was red for the next, uh, like two Mm -hmm. days. It was like the worst sunburn ever. But, um, yeah, it's just, you know, going back to what we were talking about with Russia earlier, um. Yeah, I've I've been to a lot of civilian neighborhoods that have been bombed pretty indiscriminately. A lot of the places I've been to that have been bombed are not military targets. I've interviewed crying mothers who lost children and met so many people whose homes burned down. And they're just civilian apartment complexes that literally had civilians spray painted on them in in Russian, which for the record, Kharkiv is a it's a Russian city. So they all speak Russian anyway. But um but yeah, um, that's so but, sad. yeah it's just, just so many civilian areas I've seen that have been that have been devastated. Like uh like there's this one neighborhood in Kharkiv called Soltovka that's been really, really badly hit. Just and there were only out of these massive out of this one massive Soviet apartment block there were like two or three elderly residents remaining because they didn't have anywhere else to go and everyone else was gone because the building was just pocked by artillery yeah there were just and there were just remnants of russian grad rockets on the ground just all these things that are clearly not military targets being hit that's terrible um, and then, I, and then, ironically, I've been to some uh, World War II mo- memorials that have been bombed, which is uh, pretty funny for denazification.
0: Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. Like the, um, oh man, I'm gonna—I don't want to butcher this name. Was it Baba Yara? That it was like the—it's the, uh, the 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 uh, Holocaust memorial in
2: Europe. Uh, I'm not sure about the name of it, but. I, I do know I do know the Holocaust Memorial in Kiev was bombed pretty badly.
1: Colin, what do you think of the fact that there are people here at home who see these videos of Russian bombings, uh, of hospitals, of schools, and the civilian toll um associated with that and chalk it up to Western propaganda. Um, you know, as far as people who say who see things like that. And say things like, "Oh well, there must have been Nazis in that building, and that's why they did that.
2: Um, I think it's important to have nuanced discussions about it and deny it and, uh, you know, and admit the fact that, you know, there is a, a pretty heavy far-right presence here. but, you know, at the same time, you, you, can't, you can't just dismiss a, a civilian neighborhood being bombed. And just be like, oh, they're probably Azov in that building. Like, come on, you don't, you don't have to. You can be against multiple authoritarian regimes. Like, I can, right? I can be against the Kunduz airstrike when the U.S. bombed a hospital, yeah. and I can also be against when Russia has bombed hospitals. I can. Ju- it's a lot easier to just, you know, grow a spine and be consistent against war crimes, regardless right. of who commits them.
1: Imagine
0: that. And and yeah. <laughs> Um and also, you know, I feel like that there are you know, it doesn't have to yeah. be black and white. You don't have to contem- condemn oh, everything. There's so to much the nuance. Same,
2: there's uh, so much nuance. Yeah. And and a lot of people just aren't aren't capable of that amount of nuance. Yeah. I mean the idea of of, you know, Jewish fighters alongside some of these far right guys is just unfathomable, but it's it's a complicated war. Right. It's not. Bl- it's not black and white.
1: That was one of the weird things that we had to contend with in the beginning of this when we ran our uh, humanitarian shirt fundraiser.
2: I want to get. Um, I, I know. I know the shirts you're talking about. Yeah. I, I want to get one. The, uh, the. It was never about hunting one. Yeah. Those were pretty fucking sick, man. I, I definitely want to pick one of those. up.
1: Thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah, they are pretty sick.
1: That's the weird thing, though, is that we were getting called the page was getting called a nazi sympathizer page because we were supporting ukrainians <laughs> oh that's and,
2: ridiculous oh that's ridiculous yeah
1: yeah no definitely and because to some of these people there's no difference between supporting ukrainian civilians and supporting the the war department and you know by by everyone in ukraine is a nazi so any support yeah. is is no, it's, uh, it's
2: it's, it's it's not that it's not that like the Jewish fighters I've met and the anarchists and anti fascists I've met are allied with Nazis. It's that they're all fighting against Russian imperialism. This is a war of aggression and it's a war of conquest because I mean they want to set the Russians want to settle the question of the Donbass. And there's the, the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic that are probably gonna be absorbed as federated uh republics in the in the Russian Federation, you know, same way they got, uh, Chechnya and, and Dagestan.
0: And do you, do you feel at this point that there's a fear that if, if, if Ukraine loses and they are absorbed, that they're going to be, uh, replaced like the, you know, like the, uh, plenty of populations in, in Ukraine have already gone through this historically, um, where they just get shipped out to God knows where disappear. And then ethnic Russians get put in their place.
2: So I don't think, I mean, Russia's not going for the entire country. It's just Crimea and the Donbass that they okay. really, really seem to be going for. But uh, I do still think that they would like, you know, they've uh, they keep putting out contradictory statements as to whether or not they want to demilitarize, denazified, whatever the hell that's supposed to mean, Ukraine. Um, but I mean, you got like if you look back to. Look back to 2014 before the Euromaidan protests. It was a, uh, a more pro-Russian government. And I've, I've spoken to plenty of people who, who fought in those protests, people who know people who died in those protests, because, you know, I'm not a fan of the MAGA crowd. Don't get me wrong. But unlike January 6th, <laughs> Euromaidan was a legitimate insurrection where hundreds of people died... And a new government was established. Like and there was, was a, a clear goal. Yeah, not just you know a bunch of Trumpers rioting in the Capitol building. Yeah, yeah, it was a a clear and goal. Just to be clear, they... you,
0: you're allowed to you're allowed to say mean things about um, uh, the MAGA crowd on this podcast. You can say We're mean things gonna... about anybody
1: <laughs> on, <laughs> on this <'Cause> podcast. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, we, you don't, we don't you don't have to
0: be like careful when you talk about them here.
2: Okay. Um if there are any of them listening, y'all, he, he wasn't pro gun. Stop. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs>
1: we need to settle that argument. Yeah, stop lying yeah, yourselves that's about that one. one.
2: <laughs> he wasn't pro gun, but it's like yeah, they had a uh, they had a pro Russian government that they overthrew in 2014, and that's when this that's when this conflict really all started. That's when you know Russia annexed Crimea, and that's after <clears throat> after of course the pro russian separatists broke away in donetsk and luhansk oblasts and established you know the donetsk people's republic and the luhansk people's republic and uh and one thing is like russia backs lots of these separatist countries throughout this region like as just pawns in their foreign policy so like sure. in moldova they have a breakaway republic called transnistria mm-hmm. um they also have two of them in Georgia, uh, Abkhazia and South Ossetia. And uh, because of the ones in Georgia, you actually see lots of, like, Ukraine-Georgia solidarity. Like, you'll see buildings flying both flags. You'll see patches that are bisections of both flags. Oh, wow. Um, wow. And, and, like, during, like, the 2008 Georgia War, is like, it was, you know was very similar. Like, before the war legitimately started in full, it was... Sporadic fighting, you know, in the contested area with the breakaway states, it's the it's, you know, similar to what the few weeks prior to this invasion were like. <coughs> so what which, which I didn't I didn't think it, I I didn't think uh, this was actually uh, going to happen like this. I was kind of embarrassed. U.S. intelligence was uh, was correct. I, I thought it was going to be another WMD kind of thing. <laughs>
0: Oh, man, yeah. tell me about it. That's that's how we all were. I, I...
2: Well, I, I I thought Russia might try to take the Donbass. Like, I thought they might try to solidify their holdings in the Donbass. I didn't think they were going to, like, invade really Kiev and Kharkiv and Mariupol. Like I didn't think they were going to go, uh, uh, like, as all out as they did. Yeah.
0: I, I didn't think that they – I did not think that they would honestly calculate that they had the resources to, to prosecute a war like this.
2: Oh, I, um, I was just embarrassed that they were telling the truth. Yeah. It's
0: well, because I know. mean, how many, how many, how many times has it been bullshit before? You know, yeah. like how many, <laughs> how many times has it just all been, yeah, you know, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. a ruse or you know, or at, at the very least exaggerated, if not a lie.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So what's the, what's the morale of the, uh, the militiamen like that you've, that you've spoken to that you've interacted with? Is it uh, oh. hopeful or is it a little bit, um,
2: across uh, the political spectrum, they are resolute in their determination and they're convinced that they're going to win. Okay. They know it's going to be a hard fight. They know it might wow. take years, but they're resolute and determined. And I'd say morale is good.
1: That's awesome. That's good to hear
2: morale seems pretty good from what I've seen. Now, a bunch of the, uh, morale's not not been too great, Uh and the the foreign legion, (laughs) you know, a bunch of those guys came in not realizing that this was a high-intensity conflict, and a number of those guys bailed pretty quick, but, um...
1: Hey, everyone. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you're wondering whether or not this podcast has a Patreon, well, good news, it does have a Patreon. And on that you can get some free stuff, like stickers, patches, discount codes to other stuff, and even some things that are exclusive to our Patreon. Everything contributed goes to paying the bills for the podcast and improving it in a bunch of ways, like maybe hiring somebody one day to do these ad reads so you don't have to listen to me while I'm congested. You could find our Patreon on the A Better Way to A Instagram in the links section or on Patreon.com slash a better way to a. Thank you, everyone, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the show. It sounds like there was <laughs> like like uh it it sounds like a uh experiences may vary type situation with uh the the foreign legion there um and you you have guys who bought kit over here and went over there expecting to do something and then were essentially told to you have some people that were just told to fill sandbags and you had other guys that were uh you know sent to the front with not a whole lot of equipment to uh to help them um have you have you spoken to anybody or or know of anybody in, in situations like that, uh, who who came over from another country to fight there and what and what their experience has been thus far?
2: I have not, and the reason for that is most of the foreign fighters, from my understanding, uh, scratch that I've talked I've talked to multiple foreign fighters who uh, who are fighting but guys who've been in the Ukrainian Marines not the Foreign Legion but like legitimate they've been in it for years at this point so like there are a few guys I follow on Instagram who I've talked to quite a bit uh, who who've had you know pretty good experiences and these guys are you know they're hardened veterans at this point like they know what they're doing Uh, as far as like foreign volunteers who are you know who came in after Russia invaded I've spoken with fewer of them I met a lot in Lviv because, you, know, you know, at the Polish border, everybody's pouring into there. Uh, so I was, in, I was in Kharkiv, you know, first week the invasion. Then I went to Dnipro. Then I went to Lviv. Uh, then I went to Odessa. And then I came back to Dnipro and Kharkiv. And I've been going back and forth between Dnipro and Kharkiv since then. But I met a number of uh, foreign volunteers in Lviv. And they were all prior service. I met some French foreign legionnaires. Uh, I met, you know, British army. My friend Draven, who is with Wehbeche in Iraq, so I, I don't, I, and and you know, Draven, I can't exactly say where he is, but he's at a front, and he yeah. knows he, he knows what he's doing. Like I've, I, I talk to him every every week or so. I try to try to keep up with him, I and mean, we can't talk too much just because you know it's a freaking war. But I don't expect he's gonna bail quickly the way some of the, the foreign fighters have and, and i don't, yeah I'll, I, I haven't really met i've only met a couple of foreign fighters who had zero military experience and one of the things this uh this english guy who was in the french foreign legion said to me was we don't need guys who've had who've only had civilian lives coming over here we don't. We don't need somebody who's, a, a, liability. who's been a civilian the entire their entire time with no experience. You know, coming to fight because you, you don't know what you're getting into. Right,
0: they become but, more of a liability over time. Right.
2: Yeah, but at the same time, one could argue, like my friend Raven, he didn't have any military experience when he went to Iraq for eight months. Yeah,
0: I, I, you think, I guess you, you just have to take a sort of a hard personal inventory um, and figure out like what kind of deprivations you're willing to put up with.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah you, just, sure. you need to, you need to look long and hard and realize that you could die. Like this, yeah. like one of the things Draven was talking about when I, I interviewed him in Lviv, he was talking about, you know, when he was, he was in Webachay, they were always ready to like commit suicide if they had to. Wow. Against ISIS. Wow. To avoid yeah, so becoming a fighting video. Yeah, exactly. And he said, uh, he said, uh, you know, if it came down to being captured by the Russians, he said he might do the same because he doesn't want to be uh What he said was he didn't want to end up in a steel mill in Siberia. Yeah. In which who know who knows how he'd be treated, but. But uh, I wish him the best. Hope he uh, hope he makes it back to the states.
0: Same. Yeah. Same.
2: Yeah. You just you just if you're going to come over here, you need to be prepared for the fact that you could be seriously injured. You could be paralyzed for the rest of your life. And no G.I. bill. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You could be a Ukrainian citizen yeah. uh, provided you know, provided Ukraine wins, which yeah, they're doing better than anybody expected. Yeah, for sure. I, I think is... it's fair to say that Ukraine is the clear winner so far. Yeah. I mean, they've lost a lot, but they're the underdog and they're doing quite well. So yeah, in terms of just the, the, the goals of the oh, conflict. It's, just, it's you know? just been a fierce resistance. Yeah. Kharkiv has not fallen. Kiev is not fallen. Oh, uh, Mariupol just a little bit different, be, and they're still fighting for Mariupol. But, you know, the siege of Mariupol is just different because it's Mariupol's trapped. It's wedged in between Crimea, the Sea of Azov, and the Donetsk People's Republic. Yeah. So it's like they were they were going to get sieged.
0: And see, seeing what's happened in that city is so wild. Just oh, seeing it's the horrible. city completely leveled.
2: It's horrible. Yeah, and of course you know there's
0: some there's some foreign fighters there too. Um, yeah,
2: like a uh, Cossack gundie. Yeah, Cossack. Yeah. yeah. Let's hope he makes it out. I know. Another.
0: Uh, That's so surreal. Another uh,
2: another guy who fought for democratic confederalism before coming over here. He was YPG yeah. for two for one or two tours. I remember that,
0: and it was weird finding out because I, I had I I didn't follow him closely, but but I was aware of him and his account back then. And then suddenly finding out, not only is he in uh, uh, Ukraine, but uh, that he might just fucking die.
2: Yeah, he's he's going to one of the worst
0: places in the war. Uh, Was just super weird.
2: Yeah, it's. I wish, uh, wish the best for him for sure. But there's, there's a surprising handful of like YPG fighters that have been here.
0: It makes sense.
2: Yeah, it does. Do you? I mean, uh, Russia backs Assad. Yeah. 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 Did you bring her... As far well, as I, I, haven't st- I haven't gone. Oh, I haven't. I haven't. I, I haven't. <gasps> oh, I put a little on my wrist. I thought no, it was for me. It's not for you. Oh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. It's not for oh, I'm sorry. Oh no. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Oh. <laughs> Wrist, I'll take from my mom another <laughs> Thank and you, Olga. Thank, yeah, thank you, Olga. A wholesome, comment. Comment. wholesome babushka. This is all I have. Well, thank you. <laughs> I wasn't even showing you. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry about and that. Yeah, I'll... I'll, I'll... Maybe
0: so. I just got chewed out.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then but then like <laughs> that's the, uh, the nice daughter of the hotel owner a... slash the manager. She's been great. She's been uh doing translation for us. Uh, we interviewed some Jewish fighters a few days ago and she was our translator.
1: Oh, that's so cool. I don't even know. Maybe we keep that. That was pretty that was pretty great. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I would. Jordan's
0: uh asking if we can uh, keep that in the uh in the final edit. That was that was
1: that was pretty f-
0: that was beautiful
2: sure um so yeah, sure
1: <laughs> so has there been any thoughts uh based on the people you've spoken to um considering how well Ukraine has been doing defensively um relatively speaking that Russia may or may not be holding back their better personnel their better equipment for something later? Or because that was a rumor that was going around early on, um, when I think the whole world was surprised on how with how poorly Russia was doing. (laughs) But is that something that holds water, or is that just kind of is that just the rumor mill doing what it
2: does? (laughs) I I I really don't know. I really just I I don't know. I don't feel qualified to speak on that. Yeah, fair. Uh, I'm I'm not an analyst. I'm not going to pretend to be. I've just been trying to tell the truth of what I've, I've seen here on the ground. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And you know w- what we see uh, from you and other photographers is they have lost just a shit ton of equipment and some of it looks pretty well. Yeah.
2: Some of it. And then a lot of it, a lot of it though, a lot of what I've seen have been old, like Soviet BTRs, which I mean, yeah. you know, the United States still uses plenty of stuff from the fifties and sixties. Like we sure. still use, oh, yeah. use plenty of old equipment. But um I, I haven't seen some of the tanks I've seen I didn't get a good look at just because of how how restrictive they've been. It's so like for yeah. example on the on the highway to Kharkiv or on the highway to the Kharkiv airport, there were two tanks burnt out, which we were told one was Ukrainian, one was Russian, but they wouldn't let us photograph them, presumably because both it's close to the airport And they had Ukrainian positions in the area, so they wouldn't let us really take a look at them. So I'm not sure how old those were, but a lot of what I've seen has been, you know, Soviet stuff from the 50s and 60s and 70s.
0: And a lot of people forget that Ukraine manufactures a lot of uh, arms and armored vehicles themselves. Um, And they do have some state-of-the-art – uh, what would you call them? Like uh, you know, armored fighting vehicles. Um, yeah,
2: yeah. They uh, I, a lot of a lot of the good a lot of the good BTRs. I I, you, I haven't seen too many tanks. I've seen a lot of BTRs. Yeah. Which I mean, they look like tanks, but they have a smaller, they have a smaller gun, usually like a thirty millimeter cannon on the right. top, and uh, they have tires instead of tracks and. I didn't realize this until I saw one the other day. They all have propellers on the back. They're amphibious. I saw I that. Didn't know that. Yeah. I've seen I've seen some really really cool really cool stuff while I've been here. Yeah. And I'm not not gonna lie. I've grabbed a grabbed a handful of shell casings for souvenirs.
0: I won't tell anyone. I mean, we're putting it on the podcast, but beyond that, yeah, I won't go tell for
2: anyone. it. Go for <laughs> it. You know, it's like uh, I swear I'm a journalist, not a war tourist.
0: Yeah. So I actually do want to ask though. Um, Did you like? Were you always? uh, Did you always have in mind to photograph war at some point? Uh, Like, is that something you wanted to do, or did you feel compelled to do it because that's the big thing that's going on right now?
2: Um. So, originally, I was in college for anthropology, and I wanted to be an archaeologist. Until uh, I actually worked in an archaeological museum, and I've helped on some digs before. But I worked in this museum. And I realized that all I did was categorize artifacts for hours on end, just categorizing little pottery sherds. And it just got so boring. And I realized that that's not what I wanted to do. And then uh, George Floyd gets murdered and uh being at some BLM protests are the fact. And I mean, I've, I've been able to see a lot of history. I've seen neo-confederate clashes and. Now the biggest war in Ukraine since Europe and I've met black Panthers and black power militants. And I I, I love the fact that I'm I'm able to be a witness to history and document it. And I love the idea of like photos I take, you know, maybe one day I could see them in a history book.
0: You know, yeah. And that's it's really interesting to me because I feel like at this point in time, Freelance photographers—that is, photographers with their own personal agenda as opposed to an organizational agenda—I feel like are better equipped to uh, capture these, 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 uh, these—not just these images, but these stories um, that otherwise might just disappear. Um, You know, because just
2: just getting just getting paid is harder. uh, Yeah, Yeah. well, (laughs) that's true. That's why I've uh, I've done some fundraising projects that have pissed people off.
1: Oh yeah, like yeah, we, like what? We know how that goes. Or how so?
2: Okay, so when I was in Odessa, uh, I was at a market, and there was this old guy selling all this old Soviet surplus, and he had a bunch of, he had a bunch of hammer and sickle pins, and uh, and I was like, okay, I'll buy, I'll buy all of them because I can sell them, and oh, I've had, ever since that decision, I've had so many so many Ukrainians texting me mad at me about or DMing me mad at me about it.
0: Oh yeah. Because, well, I mean to them, you Which, know, it's not much different than the, than the swastika.
2: Well, it's yeah. funny. Uh, some of, some of them have responded and been like, this is exactly like using Nazi symbolism. And I want to be yeah. a smart ass and just respond. So you're admitting that Nazi symbolism is bad, right? <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. But I don't wanna open my DMs up to these people. Yeah. <laughs> but uh but yeah, it's just you know, I just I had to make it very clear, it's like I'm just, you know, trying to sell historic memorabilia yeah, from sure. a failed state that collapsed thirty years ago. There's no I don't think anybody's jamming. out
0: here being like this is this is the way it should be right now. The hammer and seal. Yeah. That's those were the good guys.
2: Yeah, exactly. yeah, no. <laughs> those but those I mean, were the good here's days. The thing, though. <laughs> sometimes in hindsight it was a bit of a tone deaf decision it was a, it was an excellent fundraiser it, it's worked but um but it was a bit of a tone deaf decision because sometimes you do see russian troops with you know soviet flags and uh the separatists in the DPR and the LPR yeah love the soviet aesthetic they still have statues of lenin and marks up and hammers and sickles on their on their regalia and uniforms so i mean i mean i love a little suits. tone deaf but i i, I did track go back suits. and specify i did go back and specify that you know authoritarianism is bad i don't endorse those factions
0: well we got you on record now
1: yeah <laughs> No, I I I think it'd be hard to find anyone disagree with uh <laughs> saying authoritarianism is bad and uh that that is something I think we, most people can agree on. You would, on you would think. Fact.
0: I just don't know that that's true anymore.
2: I don't think that's true. There are lots of people who like authoritarianism. They just, like just don't openly. realize it.
0: Well, I think yeah. that there are people not I think not only are there people that don't realize they're authoritarians, I think there are people that are getting more <laughs> comfortable With openly admitting they like authoritarianism.
2: Yeah, you do see that. And, uh, you know, like we uh, brought up cognitive dissonance earlier. Yeah, for sure. A lot of of people on the right who screech about freedom yet support a police state and the war on drugs and the war on terror and government surveillance. And the list goes on and on and Mm -hmm. on. They support all of this government regulation. But damn it, don't tread on me. And they love freedom.
0: Yeah. freedom freedom yeah, for me I, you know well and, they, and you know and there's this there's all you know this talk uh from a leftist perspective there's all this um you know the the great reset and you will own nothing and be happier um and it's just a it reads to me uh as just a different a different perspective on embracing centralized authority
1: yeah you know, yeah it's a different flavor
0: they don't want well, the I prefer... uh, Sorry, go ahead
2: No, I I was just going to say I prefer uh, localized autonomism to centralized authority.
1: I think that's a really cool concept that people don't explore too often is that, you know, I think it's a buzzword to say communism. It's a buzzword to say capitalism and things like that. But um, I've talked to some people who would regard themselves as communists who say that they would love to live in a private commune and – don't care if other people around them follow the same rules uh but they would like to do it themselves and they would accept whoever wanted to be part of it and not force their beliefs on other people and something like that I feel like as somebody who like you said values autonomy um you should be able to live how you want to live and if that's your definition of of how you want to live as a communist then I, I can't see any reason to disagree with that. But like you said, you know, authoritarianism is bad, and once you start forcing that on people who don't want it is when it starts getting a little sketch.
2: No, I know I, I agree with that. I agree with that statement. I think rather than being anti-communist or anti-capitalist, we right. should be anti-coercion and anti-authoritarian. Hell yes.
1: Hell yes. Yes. I right. like it. I like Keep it a lot. Keep it
2: simple, and to all to all of the people on the right that want to want to say all communists are evil, all communists are authoritarian all communists are people look at some of the libertarian yeah. socialist movements that have existed in the world for sure. Like, like democratic confederalism. Just look into that ideology, look into the Zapatista movement, just research these things Yeah, and, and tell me, you know, after the Zapatistas rebelled in 1994, did their territory in Chiapas turn into a, uh, into a Stalinist style, like mini DPRK in the Mexican jungle? Like, did it, did it go authoritarian or no? Yeah. I just,
0: I, I think that's very difficult for, um, and so I, I personally am a libertarian. Uh, oh no, I've said it. Um, and here, here in America, libertarianism is so difficult to talk about because, it's like elsewhere in the world before American libertarianism existed, libertarian, yeah, was a left-leaning, uh, yeah, it it so left left, libertarian,
2: right? right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, like so if you look at things even... like in history, like the Paris commune and stuff like that, like it was a, a left ideology for sure.
0: And I myself am not particularly left-leaning. Uh, well, I, I don't know that that's true. It, it really depends on who I'm talking to. Right it's very difficult to convince American libertarians that libertarian socialism even exists. Like that that's even yeah. a thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I often find myself caught in the middle of these two groups because I'm not a libertarian socialist, but I'm not particularly conservative. Uh, um, yeah. And so I just... it, it gets very frustrating. I, I'm, I'm often very much like a left libertarian, uh, except that I believe in private property, but, yeah. Uh, it gets very difficult to, to talk to these, to these groups because they're, they're, they're so focused on these, these definitions that just don't align with each other.
2: Anybody with the socialist label is obviously wanting to live in North Korea.
0: Right. Exactly.
2: That's exactly the problem. And they just, there's, they haven't done, you know, just the cursory amount of research to, to understand that's not the case. And I'm, you know, disclosure, I'm not a socialist by any means. I, uh, I like markets. Um, you know, I, I yeah. I, I like the theory. Of, I like the idea of a uh, mark. But then, but at the same time, it's like I I don't I don't like I don't like I'm not a fan of bureaucratic corporations either. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think that this this space can can become not to like play the fiddle for ourselves here, but I, I think that this space can be very difficult to navigate um, because yeah. People really don't... It's like you were saying about nuance. Uh, Nuance is very difficult, and people don't want to believe that they can share common ground with people that they they also disagree with on things that are are core principles for them.
2: (coughs) Yeah. (coughs) Don't Don't choke. choke. You okay? No, I just... uh, One of the last times I was in Kharkiv, I was in the uh, Barbashova market while it was on fire, and I was just inhaling burning paint... And uh, all this black smoke, and I got kind of sick man. after that. I was oh, I was on God. a nebulizer oh for a little bit. Yeah, my yeah, my dumbass didn't bring a respirator. But I mean, it, it was I'm fine. Like I I'm so much better than I was like two weeks ago. Take care of yourself, man. Yeah, that sounds miserable. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I, I got to do better. About that. <laughs> <laughs> I had to uh, had to cut down my uh, had to cut down my uh, usage of cigarettes after I got sick.
0: Yeah, I bet
2: which i mean don't 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 smoke kids but in war tobacco is one of life's simple pleasures
0: don't well so so going back to nuance um you know cigarettes are probably better than burning paint yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it's there's just, levels of smoking
2: i uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, like, ah, i don't know I'd i don't know
0: <laughs> i'd say
2: i'd say artillery is more dangerous than cigarettes so yeah. I'm not too concerned I agree about, with that yes. I'm, not, I'm not it's I'm not a spectrum too worried about dying from lung cancer because this this is definitely what I want to do I've ever since I've gotten into journalism I, I realized that war reporting was what I wanted to do and before I could finance this my first ever war zone I was doing militia marches and riots domestically
0: so you definitely were building up to uh, to a major conflict
2: Yes, I like. I'd I'd bought, I'd bought level four plates, and a helmet. I I bought body armor and an IFACT long before, long before anybody knew that, that Russia was going to invade Ukraine. Long before I knew I was going to come here. Yeah, and I'm very I'm very glad that traveling with body armor has not been a hassle.
0: Uh, yeah, because <laughs> I can imagine it could be. But... I'll,
2: I'll, although I yeah, thought. Although I will say this much, uh, my bro has steel plates. Sadly, you know, I mean, I'd rather get some spalling in the face than some seven, six, two through the chest. But when I get back to the United States, I will be investing in ceramics because running around with steel plates all day is not fun.
1: I've definitely talked shit about steel plates before on the page, trying to (laughs) show people that ceramic is better. Um, Oh, 100%. But, yeah. But I, with your particular situation, I really can't talk shit about that because at least you have plates. And, I am
2: poor and. Yeah, no, no. Hey, steel plates means no plates. Beat snow plates. Exactly.
1: Um, and, and something's definitely better than nothing in this case. Um, so, how long are you planning on staying in Ukraine?
2: Uh, I would love to stay longer, but. I need to wrap this up. I need to go home at some point, and I'm I'm looking at leaving in a couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, I'm wonder. I may come back. I may not. But who who knows? Well,
0: well, hopefully, it's over before you get a chance to come back. Oh, I would.
2: I would love that. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love yeah, it. But I would love it if it ended while I was still here. That way, I could say I was here for the entire war.
1: Wow. Yeah, there that, that would be incredible.
2: But I don't think I'm. I, I, I don't think I or Ukraine will be that long I uh, I think it's going to go on. Hopefully it ends soon. Yeah. I I really hope it does. I I it really does, you know. This is, this is the other thing. I um so I, I have a side job where I work in a hospital. And part of what I do is I supervise people in the psych ward room of the emergency room at my hospital. And it's just, it's going to be hard for me to go back there because what I, what I do is I'm a security behavioral specialist. I'm a glorified sitter. I mark down on a chart every 15 minutes, what my patient is doing, like what their mental state's like, how they're acting. And it's just, it's going to be very difficult for me to go from interviewing families crying because their children have been blown up. And seeing corpses on the road and all of the horrible things I've seen here. It's going to be hard to going back to 20 year old white girl scratches her wrist because so-and-so called her crazy at a party Man. and she didn't even need stitches. That, yeah, that's a wild, uh, it's, contrast. It's going to be difficult going back to that job after yeah. seeing, after seeing war crimes and just brutality and, horrible things like the, the corpse I saw on the northern outskirts of Kharkiv I'm never for, I'm gonna forget his face was mutilated uh, half of his hand was missing his, his hand was frozen with bones protruding from it and they hadn't moved him because uh because there was a dented rpg wedged between his head and the ground and they didn't want to oh, move man. him because they were nervous it would go off Jesus. and I got some photographs of that that are too brutal for me to do anything with. Uh, no newspaper will take them. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I definitely can't post them. Uh, but that it's just so going to be hard for me to go back to that to being in the United States and and seeing people with such privileged lives complain about the most mi- the most minute inconveniences. Yeah. Which not to say mental health isn't isn't a struggle we should take seriously, but you yeah, know, I mean,
1: at a minimum, at least you have the perspective now uh, of somebody who has seen things like that, um, and it's got to really make you feel fortunate for what you do have, uh, and and the things you don't have to deal with back in the U.S.
2: Yeah, in in most of the in most of the West, yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh there's there's one Yeah, there's one point I want to want to say though. Um yeah. I have had an issue with a lot of the reporting I've seen uh, the way they framed this conflict in relation to other conflicts.
1: Oh, 100%.
2: I think it's easier to just condemn war crimes and conflict all across the world rather than treat it like an anomaly when it's not in the global south. Yeah. And another thing that I think is concerning is I don't know if you guys remember over winter, when um, Lukashenko, the dictator of Belarus, imported like several thousand Kurds and Arabs, you know, under thirty thousand. No, nobody's really sure on the numbers. I'm not. I'm not too certain. But it was in the thousands. It wasn't too many. Uh, and they put those. They put these Middle Easterners on the Polish border, gave them wire cutters in some situations and said, here, all you got to do is get through to Poland and you're in the European Union and you're good to go. You know, get through Poland, get to the European Union. You're good. And, uh, and the Belarusians weren't letting them back into Belarus and the Polish weren't letting them through and they're getting sprayed with water hoses. There's a huge humanitarian disaster, but a lot of media was calling it hybrid warfare Meanwhile, Ukraine is able to hybrid absorb warfare. close to two million. Yeah, they were calling it hybrid warfare. The way Lukashenko was throwing migrants at uh, Poland's borders,
0: like these innocent people are like a weapon.
2: Yeah, everyone was calling it hybrid warfare when these few thousand Middle Easterners are you know trying to cross the border and get into Poland, but Poland was able to absorb close to two million Ukrainians. Yeah. That's, I just, I I think that's a, uh, I think that's, yeah. Like what the fuck,
0: what the, what is up with that?
2: I think that's something to keep in mind. Like, yeah, absolutely.
0: And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm an open borders guy.
2: Um, I, uh, I'm sure I'll catch some shit for that, but
0: you know, so so it's, this is the kind of stuff I'm very sensitive to. That's the, that's the, uh,
2: that's the libertarian freedom loving position to take.
0: Yeah, Exactly. And so, where it's 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 like people get so bent out of shape about these cultural differences, and they're like, we can't we can't possibly take some, our economy will collapse. It's like no, you just don't want to live next to them, you know.
1: Yeah. Maybe yeah.
0: maybe we just need to get over these uh, quote unquote cultural differences and realize that you know variety is better, you know. And it's I it's like cultural
2: differences. I like the fact economies. that in a small town, yeah. I like the fact that in a small town in Alabama. I can get tacos and pho and yeah, Chinese yeah. food. Like I think that I, I view that as a good thing. And guess what? I when can you, still get really good yeah. Southern food as well. Yeah, I can still get Low yes. Country it boils it and soul displace... food and barbecue. Yeah, I would kill for The, some the addition pho, right? of Mexican options, food, be- does not take away our Southern culture.
0: Exactly, yeah, it I, enriches I, it. it, makes it exactly, more important.
2: One hundred percent. One hundred
0: percent. Um, I think we talked a little bit about what your plans are for after this. Um, so I guess just, if you have any final thoughts beyond, um,
2: uh, everybody, uh, everybody keep in touch because I've got some big stuff coming up. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe relocating out of Alabama might be basing myself or might be basing myself a, uh, a little further South looking at Mexico city. Oh, wow. Oh, Sweet. that's uh, a cool place. Also, I'm trying to jump back into ghost guns when I get back into the United States. Please do. Got some, got some ghost gun do. projects coming up. Thank and you. And there's there's a lot of stuff I'm trying to trying to do when I get back. I got I got more stuff incoming. Once I leave Ukraine, that's it's going to be far from the last story.
0: Okay.
1: We we were we would love to link up again in the future and uh, talk about you know how this whole thing has has shaped things for you and definitely hit on the 3D printed guns uh, when when you get into that
2: and uh, unlike Vice I will not plagiarize Jake Hanrahan I'm sure he'll appreciate here. that. No, I, nice. I, I love him. He's a great guy. He
0: he doesn't know who we are, but we'll we'll make sure that he knows that you said that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, it uh, it should be it should be exciting. Got a lot of stuff I'm hoping to do when I get back to the states. Well,
0: we're we're very excited for it.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, really glad I got to speak with y'all.
0: Well, Colin, thank you thank so you, much. Thank um, Please get some rest. Um, please be safe. Uh, keep an eye on on your lungs. Um, <laughs> yeah. No more
1: paint huffing.
0: No more paint. No more paint huffing, please.
2: <laughs> yeah, I gotta gotta hit the nebulizer again. Get, yeah. get some more medicine in my lungs. Yes. Do that. Well, uh, thank you all for having me. I look forward to uh, going back and listening to it, and I look forward to talking to y'all Absolutely, again. Absolutely,
1: man.
0: Absolutely.
2: Have a good night. Thank, thank you, Colin. Hope you all too.
0: What do you, so what, what, do you, what, uh, do you, do you have any, do you have any just quick life uh, tips? Quick life Jordan? tips. Just to, just to leave us, just to leave us with a, just a fast little, just a quick way to improve your quality. Oh, of
1: life. man. Um, you should, wow, I feel like there's so many. Yeah, uh, you know, um, I don't know if that's, that would be considered illegal advice. Um, <laughs> Yeah, don't give us uh, any life you know, advice. Just like life, life advice, uh, something that I've learned over time from um, dealing with ornery drivers is if somebody's tailgating you, don't don't slam on your brakes. You you put on your windshield wiper fluid. No, absolutely not. And uh, oh. it it sprays their windshield, and they back off of you just like that. And it's like because nobody's like everyone's like no. And you've got you've got deniability, exactly. Right? I was washing you know, my like, windshield. I was just cleaning uh, my windshield, officer. I, I was what, like. Obviously, because
0: you, you're going to be doing
1: this when a police officer's tailgating yeah. <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm not saying who you can and can't use it on, uh, but you know, if, <laughs> if somebody's tailgating you, a nice way to get them off your butt. I mean, listen, if you're in the left lane doing 65 miles an hour, just move the fuck over. Nobody wants to be behind you. <laughs> but if somebody's tailgating you, it, that's the real yeah. advice.
0: If you're if you're going slowly, get in the right lane. It's fine. You can it's, go as slow as you fine. want within reason. I think there's actually a minimum. Yeah, it's but, different
1: per state. But here's you know, our, it's, it's okay. our advice: just don't follow state laws regarding your yeah. local speed limits. And uh, yeah. somebody's tailgating. But
0: you. don't, but don't, don't irritate people. I think the don't real, I think the real advice here: don't irritate people on purpose on the road. Don't honk your horn putatively. You know. Uh, don't don't break check people. Uh, road rage is a real problem. Yeah. Just just especially try to be nice if you carry a and, gun.
1: Don't road rage. That's super yeah, don't silly. Ro- don't road rage with super a gun. Super silly.
0: Don't invite people's road rage with a gun either. Um, because yeah. you know you, you don't want to put yourself in this.
1: This long this was turned into a long tip.
0: That, okay, that's 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 the end of the. That's tip. That's the end of the tip. Everyone can go All home. All right,
1: I that was a great time. Um. <laughs> I hope everyone enjoyed this and uh, we will uh, we'll figure it out in post.
0: Yeah, I hope you enjoy editing
1: this. Uh, I'm going to love editing this. And uh, yeah, but it was a great time. I'm glad we get to talk to Colin and you did a fantastic job with everything. All right. Well, until next time, everyone. This is uh, All right. Jordan and Andrew S- signing, signing off. off